All right, everybody, welcome into Sideline Spectator, episode 42. Shout out to Jackie Robinson, Mariana Rivera. Uh, I'm your host, Jake Smith, along with my co-host, Drake Downs. Sam Kell is filling the blank, Drake. Oh, my God, what is Sam today? Sam, he's in the ER, plunger accident. Mm-hmm. Went to plunge his toilet, never took it out of the toilet, had to poop. You fill in the rest of that blank. So, guys, before we get into the actual episode, uh, I just want to say that you're going to want to stick around for the entirety of this podcast because after Drake gives his previews about the Rams and the Bengals Super Bowl, we're going to have on a very special guest, a good friend of mine, Chris Williams. Now, Chris is a former first-round draft pick out of Vanderbilt. He was drafted 14th overall in 2008 to the Chicago Bears uh, played with the Bears for a number, number of years, and then went to St. Louis, played with the Rams for two years, and then finished his career out in Buffalo, playing with the Bills in 2014. Um, we go through a lot of stuff, and we take a deep dive into his years in Chicago. Um, we talk about coaching friction, uh, you know, in Chicago. We talk about the famous NFC Championship game where you know, Jay Cutler got hurt and then, you know, maybe he should have came back in. We talk about how his, you know, he felt about it, how his teammates felt about it, uh, you know, just things like that. Uh, we talk about his entire journey, honestly, throughout his career. We talk about him getting cut, dealing with injuries. Uh, we also, Chris goes into awesome detail about behind the scenes stories with players that he has played with. And and, and speaking of which, listen to this list of, of players that he's played with, and all of these guys he talks about in this interview. Guys like Devin Hester, the greatest returner of all time, Brian Erlacher, Matt Forte, Lance Briggs, Jay Cutler, Greg Olson, Brandon Marshall, Julius Peppers. That's all just with the Bears, guys. And then, you know, he played years in in St. Louis, talks about Sam Bradford, Jeff Fisher, uh, Steven Jackson. Uh, and then in Buffalo, his we go through the roster that he played with, and it is absolutely insane. Like, that team was so stacked. They just, you know, couldn't figure it out. Played in, you know, a division with Tom Brady and the Patriots, so you can expect to not do as great as what you actually should. But talks about Sammy Watkins, Chris Hogan, uh, Kiko Alonso, Robert Woods. Uh, we talk about Stephon Gilmore, Mario Williams, Kyle Williams. I mean, just a murderer's row of awesome, awesome teammates, awesome talents. And Chris, literally, we talk about every single one of these guys individually. He talks about stories. Um, we also go through the hardest players that he's ever played against, like hardest players that he's had to block, uh, his best teammates, the the you know most talented teammate that he's ever played with. He also gives us the ins and outs of the game. Uh, you know, little verbiage with, you know, how coaches talk and how players talk and key words. So if you want to sound smart at the Super Bowl party this weekend, listen to this podcast, jot down a few key phrases that that players and coaches use during games. And if you see it during the Super Bowl, you can point out to your friends like, oh, yeah, that's xyz or or whatever and it'll make you seem really really smart you know you might impress a girl or two who knows but also we get into a preview of the super bowl so all that is coming up 
after Drake gives his piece, you know, we got to let Drake have his minute with, you know, hashtag Ramley and all that. So Drake's going to do his piece. And then later on, you're going to want to stick around for the entire Chris Williams interview, because I promise you, you are not going to want to miss it. But this episode of Sideline Spectator is brought to you by Flam Aesthetics. As we all know, you look good, feel good, feel good, play good. What Flam Aesthetics is going to do for you, they can provide neurotoxin, dermal filler injections, uh, skincare procedures like facials, microneedling, PRP slash PRF related procedures, fellas, if you're losing your hairline a little bit. And then, of course, the Botox parties where it's like shop- shopping at Sam's and Costco. You know, you get your girlfriends together or whatever. You do a little bulk deal. You get some uh, get some dollars off of off of your deal, and um, he's also going to talk to you about skincare regimens to keep you consistent with your daily skincare needs. You can find find Flame Aesthetics on all social platforms: Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all that junk. And and also, you know, Valentine's Day, Drake, it, it's coming up. Joey, he still has a few uh, opening slots. You can go in this weekend. You can go in Friday afternoon, Saturday. You can make an appointment even for Sunday. Everybody's going to be going out Monday to, you know, do their little, you know, Valentine's Day dinner. Me and my wife are doing ours on Saturday because I like football too much. And I know that Monday is going to be absolutely dreadful the day after the Super Bowl. So we're doing it Saturday. But you want to look good, you know, for your Valentine's Day picks. And no better gift to give your Valentine than you know, a little beauty treatment, you know, a little spa day type thing. So that's what Flamma Sex is going to do for you. So uh, hop on those social accounts and uh, and get started with Joey. Shoot him a DM and, and he'll get you hooked up. Now, Matthew, Matthew Stafford Downs. What did you just uh, just bring up to me right before we started recording? <clears throat> okay, so I'm nervous but not the reason you would think I'm nervous. I'm nervous because I am not nervous about the game, if that makes sense. I asked you, lifelong Patriots fan, I said, during the dynasty, I said, was there some Super Bowls that you were not nervous for that you're like, okay, this one should be all right, should be, right? And what did you tell me? My answers were 07, 11, and 17. Every single one that the Patriots lost, every one of those games, I was like, oh, we should win this. 07, undefeated season, obviously. 11, the defense was terrible. Same thing for 17, the defense was terrible. But our offense, both those years, was so stinking good that I I was like, oh, we can't lose to Eli Manning again, and then we definitely can't lose to Nick Foles. So I felt good about all three of those, Drake, and in all three of those, we went 0-3. So... I totally understand where you're coming from, and 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 what are your emotions with the with the game in general? I mean, you're not nervous, but I mean, you got to be feeling something. No, I really i I was nervous all last week and this week leading up to it. More and more breakdowns going up. People dig deep into the analytic realm and stuff like that. But what we talk about that all that goes out of the door. It's super overrated, like we drafted last week. Uh, or earlier this week, excuse me, uh, when it comes to Super Bowl. Because all tricks come out. It's, I mean, you are giving it everything you got because this is the game. Um, but I started reading into that stuff, and I told myself I wasn't going to. I was not going to underestimate the Bengals. And I might turn a new leaf, but like I found myself starting to do that. 
But I, I found myself starting to look into it, and they're talking about how uh, almost blew the game against the Raiders, and then they're saying other so, some other stats about the Raiders game that weren't very good. Sacked nine times uh, against the Titans, who turned the ball over three times and still had to win by a last second field goal. So wow. Um, then pulled out a miracle, looked like it was going to be a blowout by the Chiefs, and then Patrick Mahomes had statistically the worst half of football in his career. Uh, again, miracle. Uh, again, I'm sitting here asking myself, okay, I'll, I'll give you the Raiders game. Like, it does come down to it. Derek Carr's a very respectable quarterback. He's going to keep it close. Um, but I start thinking, at what point – does the miracles like where, when do you run out like you can't ride luck forever you know what it's i'm saying cinderella effect yeah but, it, but a lot of at some point they usually fan out at the end exactly that's why i said thinking. i was like well it's a cinderella but a lot of times you hear about cinderella's and mainly march madness right and they 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 burn out about elite eight they don't ever make it to the big dance. Uh, I mean, it's just different. It's hard because I don't want to take anything away from them when I say something like that. They definitely have a good team, but they're very, very young. They don't even know. Like they They've haven't even had time, flaws, man. They have a lot of flaws. They have one. They have like, is it bottom five or bottom seven offensive line? And we have they're horrendous top two or three offense their defensive line, like. But that makes too much sense. It makes too much sense, and it's too easy, and something doesn't make sense because the Chiefs had a really good defense. Uh, it started to turn around there about halfway through the season, and they were killing it. They had like they held teams like average of nine points there for a string of weeks, and then they didn't. I don't even know. Did they get a sack on them? Maybe one sack or half a sack or something like that on or whatever on uh, on Burrow during the AFC championship. So I'm like, okay, maybe the Titans, they have a really good defensive front. Nine sacks is fucking crazy, dude. <sighs> I don't know. I've been looking into it and I'm like, it's, it's going to be a close game. I, I have, I've, I've never once was like, this isn't going to be close. You know, I've seen undisputed Eric Dickerson's on there. He's saying like, he gave Skip Bayless three touchdowns for $500. Like, you know, my, ED took minus 21 and a half, I guess. Like, that's insane. Like, it's it's not going to happen. In recent memory, uh, last year, I would call that for a Super Bowl blowout. I'd call that a blowout, 31 to 9. Yeah, so. Um, so I would consider that a blowout for a Super Bowl. And then the Denver-Seattle one. But other than that, like, I mean, you can go back to the old 49ers and stuff like that. But, like, Super Bowls are historically typically close. The only difference this year is Super Bowls are usually two of the best teams throughout the season, too. So the, this is the lowest-seeded Super Bowl in history, a four-seed and a four-seed. The Bengals are a true four-seed. I think that the Rams are a stout four-seed. They probably should have been two-seed, but they choked it away against the 49ers. Feel-good story for Matt. Man, he comes in, he... Uh, defies all the odds, and like everybody's saying, he's not that guy. And then he goes to Super Bowl his first season out of uh, Detroit. So I mean, I don't know if that says more about him, Detroit, or both. But man, that's awesome. 
I don't think there's anybody in NFL right now that deserves a freaking ring more than Aaron Donald does. An insane athlete. And I would I would be so frustrated with my team, my franchise, is if you spent that dude's entire career and never got him one ring. <clears throat> and then so I mean, I don't think anybody deserves it more than Aaron Donald does. Robert Woods goes down and OBJ has stepped in big time and he hasn't missed a beat. And then like you got like Jalen Ramsey. I mean, I know a lot of people don't like him, but he is not the same Jalen Ramsey from Jacksonville. He's I don't know what it is because you got the young coach and Sean McVay, if it's just something about the respect that he that he gets from those guys in his locker rooms or that he demands. But it seems to me like these guys come out to LA, these big personalities. And I feel like they really are, I mean, they still got their little bit of personality. Like, I mean, it's not like a Bill Belichick kind of thing. Like, but it's, it seems like they come out there and they calm down a ton. And it's almost like when you get there, like Sean McVay's like, hey, be yourself, have fun, but here's the mission. Don't lose sight of that. And so, I mean, like all these guys, yeah, you could say they went and formed a super team, but they had it they had to go and they had to earn it so like they're giving up the draft picks the the quote unquote salary cap that they keep talking about like they they have to find a way to pay these guys like so i was talking to rebecca last night and if you want to interject just let me know but i was talking to her last night or two nights ago in bed i was sitting there laying i said you know I said, this man, this just feels like a lose-lose. You lose the Super Bowl, everybody's going to say, you had all those people and you couldn't beat the Bengals. And then you win the Super Bowl and everybody's going to say, well, uh, Mickey Mouse ring, you built this super team. She's like, what do you mean super team? I said, really just all these really good players, and the Rams have more star power than anybody. And she says, that's the point, right? You're supposed to form the best team you possibly can to win a Super Bowl, right? And it kind of took me back because it's so simple. Yet we we overcomplicate it so much to fit our narratives as a a hater of a team. Because that's all I've ever said. It's like if a team like went on this big run in any sport, I'm like ah lame super team. But that's the point. So like I thought that was really simple, and it was like a light bulb just went off. The and thing so, is, Drake is is that super teams in terms of football. I've never believed it. Even like, you know, you can go back to the 90s Cowboys or the 80s 49ers. You look at those rosters and then you look at, you know, the star beside them on pro football reference that indicates that they're they're Hall of Famers, right? And it's like, holy smokes, like, you know, they've got five to ten guys on their team that were Hall of Famers eventually. It's like, to me, even those teams, like, football is such a team sport. And Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, will say this till he's blue in the face, and he always has, and he says it on Man in the Arena. Look, it's not just me out there. There's 22 guys, offense, defense, then you got special teams, and then you've got all your backups and stuff. You know, you got 53 guys on the roster. You go into training camp, and you got 90 of them. Coaching staff. You've got you got head coach. You got the OC. You got the Quarterbacks coach, you've got the tight ends coach, running backs coach, offensive assistants. Uh, same thing for defense. You've got so many factors. Ownership, 
front office? How do they see football? How do they coexist with the head coach to give the head coach what he wants? You've got so many factors in football that have to line up perfectly in order to win a Super Bowl. Super teams in football are not a thing. I don't care who you have. Basketball, way different. Way different. Basketball is a like star power, star driven league. If you're one of the top, you know, five to ten guys, you can form up your own team. And the coach, we've seen LeBron win with a bunch of random coaches before, and he gets him fired the next year, and somehow some other dude comes in there and he and he wins again. Like it doesn't matter in basketball. Right, baseball, baseball, it certainly doesn't matter because baseball is just so random. Hockey's the same way. Hockey is just so random. Like you can have an eight seed go in there, kind of like the Preds did back in 2016, 2017, and somehow go on a run when they're the the lowest seed in the playoffs. I mean, but football is so like, who's the better team? Who's got coaches? Who's got this? Who's got that? And it all has to mesh at the same time. That's kind of what you're seeing with the Bengals. I get what you were saying at the beginning with, you know, the Titans kind of beating themselves. And you guys will hear in the interview with Chris Williams, he kind of says that same thing. It's like, yeah, Cincinnati, they took advantage of the of the situations, but the Titans were the ones that kind of gave the game away. Now, Drake, with that, with that whole team aspect, everything like that, You've got three options. You've got Matt Stafford, and you guys will hear me pose this exact same question to to Chris Williams. You've got Matt Stafford. You've got Sean McVay, and you've got the Rams front office or Rams organization, if you want to call it that. Drake, in your opinion, between those three, who has the most riding on this Super Bowl? Because Matt Stafford, you've got, okay, Hall of Fame reg- resume. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, yeah, he's got these cool stats, but his playoff record, his overall record, it stinks. Then you've got Sean McVay, got coached around in circles the first round against the Patriots back in 2018, February of 2019. Didn't even prepare for zone defense, right? And then you've got the Rams ownership slash front office that has given away all these said picks that you were just talking about. And they know that these guys are on one-year deals. You've got a lot of players that have grown up in the Rams system that are also going to be pending free agents. And they're pushing all their chips to the middle of the table. From a Rams fan perspective, hashtag Ramley, who, who is, is this game riding the most on? I think it's easily Sean McVay here, right? And let me explain. I don't know what Chris said. I'll have to listen to the interview. But Matthew Stafford has, in my opinion, already proven us, or proven, not us, but proven people that he can get there. Can get there that all these 0 and playoffs or all these 2-14 and 14 seasons, it wasn't just me. We go back to that team aspect. Like, I need people around me. I need a front office. I, need, I mean, it's it's more than, you know, just – the quarterback. And I think we forget that a lot of times the front office. I don't feel like no matter the outcome, I feel like they did all they could. They went, there's nothing more they could do. Right. If there, what, what's something else they could do? Who did they not go get that they could have got? You know what I mean? Exactly. The silence, you know, speaks volumes. It's on Sean McVay here, right? Because 
he's a very, very, very good coach, and he is probably the best thing to happen to the Rams organization in a long time, if not all time. He's the boy wonder. He set the new precedent in the league. You see all these coaches in their 30s and early 40s that was never even a thought before Sean McVay, right? He got outcoached in the Super Bowl. He got in the games that we lose, and you can go back and look at a lot of the Rams pivotal losses or very important need games that we lose. And if you watch them back, a lot of the reason we lose is because of play calling. It's the big moment. Drake, in my opinion, in my opinion, I think it's front office. Okay. If I had to rank them, I'm going front office McVay Stafford, right? I I think the front office, just like what I said, I think that, They've pushed all their cards in the middle of the table, and that's great. That's awesome. They saw a window of opportunity, and they're going to attack it. However, if they lose this game, Drake, do you, like, even if they win, man, obviously you're going to draw a little, like, you know, some more eyes and stuff. But, Drake, if they lose, can you imagine, like, are you prepared to, like, suck after this year? Win or lose because of like the draft matters. I don't care what anybody says. The draft matters. The Patriots have drafted poorly since mm, 2013 was the last good draft. I would say that the Patriots have had, and you've had Tom Brady for those years in between, but now without Tom, you're seeing these past two years haven't been all that great. It's because of drafting because the drafting hasn't been all that great. So the fact that, that the Rams aren't going to have the draft capital that they would want. Of course, yes, they're going to have those fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round picks. And, you know, you got your undrafted free agents that usually one per team works out every year. But, man, it, that's the thing. Yes, they're, they've done all, their, all they can. I get that part, Drake. I really do. They've, they've done everything that they possibly can, so I get that that's how it's riding more on McVay because they're giving McVay everything that he could possibly want. But, man, if you can't get it done right here, the front office looks – they look stupid. And so does McVay and so does Stafford. They all look dumb. But I think in terms of future, the year – like years after this year – the front office is going to be like the fans are, you know, Drake, you know, on Twitter, the fans are going to be calling for the front office's head, like fire this GM. Like, why is this guy out here? You know, why do we have this guy starting and, and all this stuff? Why did we draft this guy? Well, it's because your front office gave away all your capital for these older players on one year contracts. Yeah. I mean, I agree with what you're saying. But at the end of the day, like, they did everything that you would want a front office to do. We've talked about it so many times, and Sam has talked about it numerous times. He's like, I wish my front office would do stuff like this. Big free agent comes out or he's having problems with his team, go get them. Go get them. Chips in the center table, I'm all in. So what if we come out there? and we're pass-heavy, and they're defending the pass really well. One thing I've I've noticed from Sean McVay that drives me crazy is we don't, we're don't we not going to sit there and try the run, or if we do go the run and he's getting four yards per carry, then we're going to randomly start throwing it again. We may go one drive where we run all the way down the field and score a touchdown. I'm like, oh, my God, do it again. Make them stop us. Then we're going to run some bubble screen or something 
on like third and 13 or, you know, first down's going to be quick slant and incomplete tip ball interception. I'm like, you just ran down their throat. Like I've seen it so many times. I, I don't know what the answer is because I, I love the guy. And I think that he is a, a great coach in the regular season. He's shown that he can get to a certain ball. I mean, he's only 36 and he, this would be a second Super Bowl. That's incredible. And like, it, it sucks because I'm torn because I come from a franchise that we didn't even go to the playoffs for 14 years. We went 14 years without even going to the playoffs. I went years without even, like, I just get the, the notifications on my phone because it wasn't even worth watching, like, when they're in St. Louis and stuff. And then we hire this kid that's 30 years old out of Washington. I'm like, oh, my God, we just love to suck, man. We love to suck. Right after we go give – Titans the whole farm and we get Jared Goff and I'm like who who is it first overall pick we got Jared and then he goes like 0 and 10 in his first rookie season I was like oh my god we're never going to be good his first year we go like 11 and 6 and we did lose in the wild card round to the Falcons who ended up going to the Super Bowl that year or just came off a Super Bowl yep no that's right 2016 yep I was just so happy and so proud that we were even like, man, it's his first year we went to the playoffs. Like, so I can't let being content blind me from the fact that here's some flaws with him. I think one, you you take a deep breath. You're like, oh my God, we did it. Like we pushed so hard for this and could have looked really stupid, but we did it. But then expectations you, rise. Let's go do it again. You win the second one, and you're like, yes, this is what we came here to do. You win a third one, everybody start, everybody stop, starts getting rid of their draft picks. Everybody yeah. said, no, nah, I'm going to go try to. change the game. Yeah. Exactly. We're not going to change. Like, If we win this, you might have a couple people start doing stuff like that and throw some of the smaller teams, like the, the worst teams, like, Jacksonville, Detroit, Cleveland, like those kind of teams might start throwing away a lot of draft picks and try to get some of these bigger names. But I don't think you're going to necessarily change it until you get about three Super Bowls with a squad like that that you went all in for. Then they're like, okay, there's there's a method to this madness. Jalen Ramsey, Jamar Chase. Is it going to be a situation where Jalen Ramsey, you know, they're doing a zone scheme and then Jalen Ramsey just has to pull the plug and is like, you know, kind of in the divisional game against the Bucks where he was like, no, I'm taking, I'm taking Evans. And then Evans still cooked him anyways. For this matchup, I, I'm this is my favorite part of the game. It's not like the fact that Matthew Stafford could win a ring or like watching Joe Burrow. It's going to be Ramsey as much as he talks. Great player, everything like that. But he talks a lot. Random guys do very well against Jalen Ramsey. Danny Amendola in 2017 in the AFC Championship game absolutely tore up Jalen Ramsey, um, which like is super random because you don't think Danny Amendola can tear up like a number one rec- or uh, corner like that. So, Drake, with this matchup, this is going to be the matchup of the game. It's not. Yes, you could say the Rams defensive line versus you know the offensive line of the Bengals. You could say it's just Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay coming up with this great game plan and this scheme. I think it's Ramsey on chase. If you take, look, if the Bengals, 
if if they don't have Chase in this game, that offense kind of runs through him. Of course, it runs through Joe Burrow, but that's Joe Burrow's first read on almost every single play is Jamar Chase. Drake, what are you looking for in this matchup? Is this your premier matchup, and and why? Um. I'm going to be looking at a lot of different things, a lot of moving parts. Of course, I'm going to be looking at this game a lot more in depth than the average football viewer. Um, uh, besides people like me and you who really like understand the game and what to look for. So what Jalen Ramsey is, is he, he plays relaxed. He's about 10 yards off of his receiver. He's not like a press corner. He's not up in your face. Um, but here's the thing. He can play, he's gonna play 10, 12 yards off of his off of his receiver if they're in man. Joe Burrow's gonna have to get the ball out quick. They're gonna be running a lot of short routes that are quick slants or curls or you know, things like that, because he's not gonna in theory, he's not gonna have a lot of time to throw the ball. So can Ramsey adjust and and be that kind of press corner? and not get burned over the top unless we get some safety help and stuff like that. Because I will agree with what Sam said. I don't know how much Chase, Jamar Chase is, but I think Ramsey isn't very – he's he's very good because he's big about, you know, your Julios and your A.J. Greens and your DeAndre Hopkins and your Devontae Adams and stuff like that. But your your short, like speedy, like slot type receivers, I feel like we're talking about with Amendola. Like he he kind of struggles with those kind of things, but he likes to sit back. And if you're gonna go up and I think you're not you're not gonna have receivers win jump ball contests with Jalen because he is a big guy himself. I'm gonna be looking at the Aaron Donald to see what Aaron Donald can do. Uh secretly gonna be watching Greg Gaines. A lot of guys do not know about Greg Gaines, big 91, white guy, defensive tackle right next to Aaron Donald. You could tell that he's learning a lot from Aaron Donald, but he's taking advantage of those one-on-one matchups. He's getting to the quarterback. He's done incredible this postseason, this all, all season, but especially in the postseason. Um, I'm looking to Leonard Floyd to make a big, a big statement, playoff fun to see if he can still keep it up. I'm going to be looking at a lot of things. I'm going to be looking for our run game to be consistent, steady, control the game. Matthew Stafford, I have a lot of faith in him. Uh, I don't want to see him try to win the ball game with one throw and start hurting us. Um, There's going to be a lot of things that I'll be watching, uh, but I do agree that that's probably one of my favorites is the Ramsey chase. So, score prediction. we got to give a score prediction. Who's the winner? What's the score? Oh, man, I think it's going to be – I've thought about this. I've been stuck on this score. It's 38-17 Rams. So that is crazy. I, for some reason, my brain has been stuck on 30-17 to 17 Rams. And I think it's only going to get to 17 because I think the Bengals are going to hold like 10 points through like the third quarter – and then, you know, the fourth quarter, of course, you know, typically you get a garbage time touchdown. But, I mean, like you said last year, you don't really see Super Bowl blowouts. You really don't. 30-17, yours is definitely a blowout, 100%. Right. Yeah, mine is probably more of like a a good margin of victory. It's kind of like it goes back to that thing. It's like there's no reason why the Rams should lose. There's really not. And that is when 
the opponent is going to be the most dangerous. When everybody counts you out, when everybody says, oh, your offensive line can't handle the front four of the Rams, they got Ramsey to lock down Chase, nobody's giving you a shot. Drake, it's the same thing that happened in 2001, Rams-Patriots. Nobody oh. gave the Patriots a chance on against the greatest show in tur- on turf. I will and say that uh, I will say that you know a lot of people are giving a Bengals the Bengals a chance more than I thought, which kind of eases me a little bit because I I don't want to be heavily favored. The spread's a lot closer than I thought it was going to be, so that makes me happy. As weird as that sounds, it's still at four and a half. I think it's kind of sat steady all week at four and a half. The Bengals just feel they do feel like a Cinderella story, but I feel like the clock's going to strike midnight on Sunday. A little Cinderella, you know, the glass slipper type thing. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, didn't that story come out with a good ending for Cinderella? So. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I didn't. But not the yeah, point. Yeah, anyways. <laughs> You're like. This is the one, like Rebecca was saying, like, I'm going to have to move out of this house. Like, I don't want to be here if they lose and all this stuff. But I said, this is the one game that I'm not going to get mad about. And she's like, that doesn't make any sense. The biggest game. No, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I said, I don't, what's there to get mad about? It's, it's over. When you're like hundred percent, when your team is in the Super Bowl, they prepared for two weeks for this game. Yeah. And you're sitting there, you know, there's no tomorrow. There's no, there, there's. It's so weird. I, I I get what you're saying because every time I watch a Patriots or last year against Tom Brady, of course, I was like pumped up every time, you know, they scored a touchdown or Tom had a big throw, you know, doing the let's go thing in my living room, my wife taking videos of me and all that stuff. But like in terms of bad things that happen, you just kind of sit there and you're like, you know, if, if something bad happens on defense, you're just like, what are we doing? Like, this is why this is why we can't win. But it's not like hatred it, or anything. It's just right. like, yep, this is why we can't win. Like, this is exactly why. This is why we we we're choking, or or this is why our coaches stink. And it's just it, kind of like, you know what? The situation is what it is at that point. But you have to capitalize, and that's what's so heartbreaking about it, because you don't know if you'll get back. And that's that was kind of what like with the, the 2019 Super Bowl, I was like, it's just heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking because, you know, as a fan, and I hate when people say, we? What do you mean, we? Are you on that team? Like, dude, I am emotionally invested, monetarily, physically, uh, if you want to count my liver. Um, Are you kidding me? I was one of Tom Brady's ball boys. Yeah, like, seriously. Like, I hate when people say that because as a true fan, like you are invested in this too. And and like, that's a beautiful thing about sports is you see these viral videos go of like a a guy who's 60 years old that, you know, hasn't seen the Bengals go to Super Bowl. And now he's crying in his living room. He's a grown ass man. Like that is like, to me, that's beautiful because that person has stuck by their side and cheered every season, every game for years for this moment. And it's like, it's one of those things where, you know, a lot of people think it's silly. It's just a game. It is a game, but it's it's so much more than a game at the end of it. You know what I mean? And so, like, sports, it's, it's you know, it's beautiful. It's one of those things where if they win, I don't know. Like, I don't – I'm still young, so it's not like – and they were Super Bowl. Like, I don't see me, like, necessarily crying. I might shed a tear because I'm like, this is so incredible because – 
I haven't ever felt this feeling before. Let's be real. I was three, almost four years old when they won it. Doesn't mean anything to me, but I know how much, how happy I felt between the two NFC championships was something that I've never felt before. So I, you can't describe it. You can't exactly. So like, but again, like, I mean, this is, this is going to be a great Super Bowl. I, I hope it's a good one. Hope it turns out in my favor. With that being said, so doing a little time traveling and and all that, we did the interview previous, and so we're just there's not going to be a sign off at the end. We're just going to roll the interview now, and you guys are going to want to listen to this thing from the very first second all the way to the very end. Uh, Chris Williams is a former first round draft pick, 14th overall in the 2008 NFL draft out of Vanderbilt. Played for the Chicago Bears for a number of years. Went to the Rams. Played there for two years, and then ended out his career one year in 2014 with the Buffalo Bills. We talk about so many things. We talk about teammates like Brian Urlacher, Lance Briggs, Devin Hester, uh, Jay Cutler. Talk about the Jay Cutler uh, NFC Championship thing where he kind of not quit on his team, but he got a little boo boo and and he wouldn't go back in the game. Uh, you know, we talk about the Julius Peppers. We talk about the hardest guys that he's ever had to face off on. He talks about the coaching staff in Chicago, how it was a little bit of a back and forth power struggle. Uh, talk about a lot of stuff and, and, and he, he lists off his teammates, talks about Greg Olson as well. And just talks about a bunch of his teammates that he's played with and awesome awesome behind the scenes stories and how the offense worked. And if you're kind of a nerd, he, he kind of gets into the X's and O's a little bit and kind of like calls and stuff. So if you're, you know, wanting to sound smart when you're, you know, with your friends watching this Super Bowl, you can kind of listen to this podcast, pick up a few tips. And while you're watching the Super Bowl, be like, tell your buddies, Hey, on that play, you know, you had a G league right, right there where the guard and the center both pulled. It's, it's super rare. And you know, it, it does this and that, you know, this guy's in a three technique, this, this guy's in an outside nine, all that stuff. Chris does a great job of breaking down awesome stories, talks about his past teammates, played with a bunch of awesome guys, uh, everything like that, man. It is truly like an awesome interview start to finish. And uh, without further ado, here's uh, here's my interview with Chris Williams. All right, everybody. Uh, we are welcoming on a very special guest, Chris Williams. Chris played at the University of Vanderbilt, which, I mean, I'm not going to lie, that's not anything to write home about. But, <laughs> but Chris, we're, we're glad to have you on, man. Oh, glad to be here. I don't even know what Bethel's mascot is, so... Therefore, I'm just not even going. I'm not even going to venture down that road right now. Look, the NAIA life—it's not for everybody. Okay, <laughs> it's, definitely, it's, for everybody. it's definitely not for everybody. A lot of <laughs> a lot of my buddies thought I was nuts for going out to uh, to BFE in West Tennessee. Um, hey man, it's it's pretty out there, but it, you know, I don't know about college. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You don't def you definitely don't get that. You know, Knoxville, Tennessee. You mean Nashville. type of type you mean, of you mean uh, Nashville? You mean Nashville? Ah, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Nashville wasn't what it what it was when you were playing, though. No, it was much better. <laughs> it was much better. Than <laughs> but speaking of which, so so you play you played at Vanderbilt. Um, oh seven was your last season. So what? You played two years with Cutler. Three. You I, played I played, three years I with played, Cutler. 
I played two years with him, but we were there together three years. Got it. Um, so Chris was drafted first round, 14th overall uh, in 2008 draft. Um, Chris, so we're going to play a little a little game to, to get started to see how much your your knowledge is with your draft class. Because a lot of guys, you know, they'll go on, you know, if they get slided, they fall down in the draft. They can name off every single, you know, quarterback that went before them, all that stuff. So before that, I'll give you a little precursor. So some notable guys in that 08 draft. You had Jake Long, went number one overall. Also, uh, also a Nashvillian now. He lives yep. here now. Uh, Chris Long. No affiliation. Great guy. Teammate in St. Louis. Yep. Uh, Matt Ryan, Darren McFadden, Gerard Mayo, shout out Patriots, uh, Dominic Rogers Cromartie, Joe Flacco, Akeem Tlaib, Felix Jones, Rashad Mendenhall, uh, Jordy Nelson, Deshaun Jackson, Clayus Campbell, Martellus Bennett, and a lot more. Uh, yeah. That was just the first two rounds. I just got tired of writing names down, to be honest with you. Um, Chris, so with that, that's a good draft class, man. Yeah, oh, I mean, it was – I think it was seven tackles went in the first round that year. And, and you were the third one taken. That's correct. Um, and, like, actually, Jerry Mayo was one of my, my favorite people from the draft process. We we had a good time. We ran into each other. You ran into guys at the Combine and Senior Bowl and, like, draft visits you across path with guys. And he was he was a cool dude. I was I was happy he had – I wasn't surprised he had a good career. I'm hoping that he stays with the Patriots, just FYI, and – Bill gives him the keys. Well, somebody got to be coaching well, waiting you, up there. So you know what I'm saying? So, I don't think they let McDaniels back in the door. Oh, I think yeah. he's going for good now. <laughs> um, it was sore spot. I heard him with that one. <laughs> and, and, and also, and also, of course, we have to shout out Matt Forte. He was Absolutely. a second-round draft pick with you um, in that same draft. So, Chris, my question, my quiz is, I want you – how many how many players from your draft class are still playing in the NFL right now? And who are they essentially? From 08? From 08. Golly, man. I'll uh, tell you what. Matt Ryan's still playing. There's eight players. So name off the eight. Name off all eight. So you got Matt Ryan still playing. We yeah. know that. Um, Brandon Alberts in Seattle. Then there's. Done. Um. And I feel like I know this because you'll see guys, you're like, dang, he's still playing. Um, I actually I know. know Brandon Albert is not in there. Not Brandon Albert. Because he, he Dwayne, I didn't have him li listed. So I Brandon just had to, Albert. I had to. Dwayne Brown. Dwayne Brown. Yeah. There you go. He was <laughs> with saying, Seattle yeah. this past year. I'm saying Brandon Albert, thinking Dwayne Brown, who was with Houston in, yeah. in Seattle. Dwayne's still playing. Uh, guy, he's a big old dude. Um, I don't, man, I don't even know, to be honest. So you got Flacco. Joe Flacco. See, I didn't realize he was still playing. Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun, D-Jack is still playing. No, that dude's hilarious. Somebody that I just named, Calais Campbell. Calais Campbell, which I heard. I know he's still playing. I knew you weren't going to get this one, but Chad Henney. Still a backup also, in Kansas City. Also a cool dude. I had uh, a good time. Me and Flacco were at the Senior Bowl together. He was a cool guy. Uh, you know, played at Delaware. And then... Chad Henney was another cool guy. Went to Michigan with Jake. Yep. So, yeah, Chad was cool, too. And then the last two are Matthew Slater. Oh, special yeah, team Jackie Slater's son. Yeah. Yep. Um, Fifth-round draft pick. And then somebody that nobody ever heard of until this year, Josh Johnson. Oh, yeah, the quarter, the quarter, San Diego. Quarter, quarterback, yep. He wound up taking over 
for the Jets for a game or two and then went to Baltimore when Huntley went down as yeah. well and he took over for a game. Yeah, Josh Johnson, University of San Diego. Um, yeah, he's been around a long time, but 13 years now. What, just 13, 14 years now. Yeah, so you mentioned Flacco at the Senior Bowl. Yeah. He seems like he has the personality of a doorknob. No, man, you know, he real dry. Like, he just... He's just dry. He comes off kind of like he's he's like you he would you think he is like he's not a super energetic guy, but he's funny like he's just super dry. But it's like he's almost he almost feels like he's from uh, California or something. Like Does he that. give you Jay Cutler vibes then? No, kind of just like a laid back kind of. I just, mean, you could. This is a similar comparison. They're both just kind of laid back, you know. But he's not as much of a smart ass as Cut is. You know? <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna get into Jay Cutler, so so I want to. I want to dance through your career a little bit. So, 2008, Lovey Smith was your coach the whole time while while you were in Chicago. Yes. So, you came in with Matt Forte. You played with Devin Hester. Yeah. Erlacher, Greg Olson. Now, this is this is 08. Obviously, there's more. You know, there's other notice, notable guys. You know, you had Earl Bennett that you played Earl, with at Olin Bandy. Cruz, uh, Orlando Pace came in for a year. Lance Briggs, Peanut Tillman. Uh, Mike Brown, we had Marion Barber there for a little bit, mm -hmm. Josh McGowan, who's a great guy, Kyle Orton come through there, Rex Grossman. Like, So <laughs> that's funny that you bring up Rex Grossman. That's actually going to be my question. My first question is, uh, was it hard? So whenever you showed up to OTAs and then to training camp and you kind of got a lay of the land, all that stuff, was it hard to comprehend how the Bears just two seasons ago got to a Super Bowl with Rex Grossman as the quarterback? No, it wasn't. Uh, one, I wasn't thinking like that, but the their defense was I mean, he so, was bad. Their defense was so good. Oh, the defense was great, but what I'm saying is Rex Grossman was such a bad quarterback. Man, but look, I, I had just come – Cutler, was, I spent the last two years with, hey, I love you guys, but Chris Nixon, Mackenzie Adams at Vanderbilt. I hadn't seen high-level quarterback play for a couple years at Vandy, and Vanderbilt wasn't a high-flying, high-powered offense, so – I mean, Rex Grossman was better than than the guys I played college with. So, I, at that at that point in my career, I had no idea what elite quarterback play was and what it did for your offense, your offensive line, and and things. You know, good quarterbacks make their old line better and getting in and out of plays and, and like Brady. Like Brady gets all of his offensive linemen play because he you know he gets rid of the Get ball, the ball quick. Out. Yeah, you know, he's real. I'm sure he's real clear with those guys. Like, hey, just. I'm, the ball's gonna be going fast, and then and then even knowing a different pressure situation, it's all out. The ball's coming out quick. Just hold up. Somebody might have to take two, or just getting you in the there's three four plays a game where you're gonna see a look that you prepared for. It's an all out pressure. Or it's a special pressure for you, and and those are the pickups, and and they get you in plays. But man, some some coordinators don't give those quarterbacks that kind of control either. So, I mean, but I, at that point in my career, I had no idea what what elite quarterback play looked like or, or what what that meant. So your next year, you get reunited with Jay Cutler right. in 09. Um it, your rookie year, what, you guys went seven and nine? Yeah. I think I was, it was something like that. I was hurt. I got I had back surgery out of training camp. So I, I did like special teams. I was I missed the first eight weeks. Probably should have went on IR. Did uh special teams and did uh, like field goal and goal line by the end of the season. But I I didn't really play much at all, just just extra stuff. But in 09, you were healthy. You started all 16 games, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Or was that 2010? I think that was nine. Okay. Nine, I, I played all, all 16 and 
we were okay. Yeah, I think you guys went eight and eight that year. Yeah. Um, but Jay Cutler getting reunited with him. Uh, you still had those same guys: Forte, Hester, Olson, pretty much the the same cast. Yeah. Twenty ten. That's the year I kind of want to really dive into a little bit. Okay. Twenty ten, the NFC Championship game against the Packers. You know, cold game. Jay Cutler. You know famously get gets hurt all that stuff but before that you caught a pass that season yeah for four yards I guess it's four scary. yards I, I was wondering if you uh if you were gonna catch that um well, you know I coach I coached some high school back a couple years ago and so I I tell the high school kids you know I had I got more NFL receptions than all of y'all, so y'all <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah I remember that tip ball so do you remember and for those people that are listening uh me and Chris are our friends and we play pickup basketball we're, for years together. We're not friends and I don't play basketball. We're anymore. very good friends. <laughs> uh, so you told me about a story in that 2010 season. And I wonder if you remember what I'm talking about, but it is what went into the game plan against the Patriots in that 2010 season when oh, it was a snowball in Chicago. So yeah. why, why don't you tell us about that a little bit? So it wasn't even it wasn't even necessarily a game plan thing. I just remember getting to the locker room and we got to the locker room and and the defense is like, "Hey, they can't they can't throw the ball. They got to come out." I mean, it was a little blizzard in Chicago. So they're like, "They going to come out and run the ball. We are taking Brady out the game." Da da this that and other. So we're thinking our defense is stout, so we're just going to line up and smash heads and be a field goal kicking contest. Robbie Gold's still one of the best kickers in the league, so we're like, hey, Robbie's going to win this game for us. We'll be fine. And, and you guys had one of the best defenses in the league. Yeah, our defense was was nuts. We go out there, and Brady's out there slinging it like it's like it's 70 and sunny. And then you watch these, like the like I watched the um, – I told you the night I watched uh, the tuck rule thing, and then they did the man in the arena – about the Super Bowl that year. And he talks about, like, he loved playing in the snow because everything – Everybody moving, else slows down. Everybody's moving slow motion. Defense has got to be where they're going to be at. They can't really disguise coverages. And your guys are running, running the route. They're trying to react on snow to – you know, they had Wes Welker and these cats in the slot. And he's just – I mean, he's just dishing it. And it weren't long passes. But when you're trying to cover these guys in the snow and they got the whole field to work with, it, it was just difficult. So – um that was a shock. I, I was I had never seen snow like that, and uh, I remember my dad them talking about drinks freezing in the cup holders and stuff. <laughs> and and they come up there and they I mean they he moved it up and down the field and then and then that's when you start to see when you play people like a Tom Brady, Drew Brees, and you start playing against some of these quarterbacks and playing Aaron Rodgers twice a year. You know you play against some of these cats and you see the stuff they do and they're like, man, that's. That's nuts. You know what I mean? Yeah, it doesn't matter the elements. Yeah, so the Patriots won that game 36-7. to uh, Brady threw for 351 yards, two touchdowns, when you guys thought blizzard. that it was just going to be a, just a run game pretty much, a game one in the trenches. Yeah, in an actual blizzard. That man threw the ball all over the field. <laughs> um, so let's go ahead and just skip to the NFC Championship game. Yeah. Jay Cutler. Around halftime, and I, I went back, because I remember this, Chris, I was, let's see, this would have been January of 11, so I was a yeah. freshman in high school. Right. And I remember this game, and I I remember at the time thinking, man, like, dude, you just got to fight through the pain. 
You know what I mean? And I remember it happening, and so I went back and watched some highlights, and it happened right before halftime, is when you saw Jay kind of limping around. He finished out the half, goes out there for the first series in the third quarter. What happened? Man, I, I, I don't know. I don't even know if I knew he was hurt. Nobody knows. Yeah, I don't even know if I knew if he was hurt. We just, I mean, I was so focused on my matchup. I was Cullen, they had uh, Cullen Jenkins and B.J. Raji inside, and I was having a rough game. And so I was just trying to hunker down and get, get going. I was get going, and, and we were trying to show our protection. So it's one of those things where as an offensive lineman, I mean, you care who's back there, but at the same time, you're gonna have to do your job regardless. So, for us, I don't, I don't even remember thinking or knowing he was hurt, hurt. I mean, I thought he got dinged or whatever. But at that point, see, everybody's limping around some kind of way, you know. And so, I didn't know he was hurt, hurt until he didn't come back. You know, I, I remember him being on the bike on the sideline, and Jay, I had no reason to believe Jay. He had never been nothing but tough. I mean, he took a he took a beating at Vanderbilt. He had taken some hits that year. Um, in 2000 and so that was 2010, was mm-hmm. it? 2010. And in one of those years, I remember we went to the Giants and he took like 10 sacks or something one game. I mean, so I, I had no reason to question that part of it, you know, as in that just wasn't, that wasn't my lane. Cause like I said, I was, I was trying to get my own stuff together, but. Right. But when you guys, when you guys go into the huddle for that next series, and you see, I can't. Caleb Haney. You see, well, no, he didn't even come in first. It was Ty Collins came in first. Collins came in first, and then the yeah. coach like saw him for two series, Which and Ty he was came he in. was like, yeah, yeah, Ty was like, we're 50. done with this. Ty was fifty, and not like Tom Brady fifty. He was like regular person fifty. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Ty come in, and we were like, oh no, nah, man, and uh, he could barely move, and so then they brought in uh, Caleb Haney. Who's a, we were rookies together, so so that that was my question. When, as a as an offensive lineman, as an offense in general, when you see that you know you look up to get the play call, and Jay Cutler isn't in the huddle, yeah, that's got to be kind of not saying that Jay Cutler was you know like Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, that's going to lead you back to to victory or whatever when you guys were down. Oh, but, but he was our starting quarterback. But that's the he thing, was our best shot, that's for sure. <laughs> in the NFL, going from a starting quarterback to a backup quarterback, yeah. it is night and day I mean, difference I, I love caleb and and i mean you want jay to be in the huddle i mean it, he was he was the guy he had been the guy all season we had our offense was pretty good that year we were scheming dudes up jay's got a cannon for an arm so in that situation the nfc championship game you want you want all your weapons and and to not have him uh, it, it sucked man and and jay jay got killed for it and uh I mean, you feel bad for him on one hand. On the other hand, it was kind of like Jay didn't. Jay never did himself a lot of favors with the media, you right? Know? So, whereas if he had hammed it up a little bit or had done more endorsements in Chicago, because he could have been on every billboard in Chicago, but that just wasn't what his personality was. But you hear about him; he's at the Christmas hospital, uh, the Children's Hospital on Christmas mm-hmm. Day. No cameras, no nothing. It just he moved in a different moved kind of in way. silence type thing. Yeah, yeah. but it that doesn't endear you to the fans and to the media, you know, and, and if you don't have anybody that's got your back in a, in a media city like Chicago, it's, I mean, it's going to be rough. And I think what happened was, I think they saw him at a restaurant in LA, like going down some stairs, maybe a week or two later and people and just looked. ran with it. I mean, they just went ballistic. Like you quit on your team and all this kind of stuff. And, and uh, I mean, 
I never felt like he quit, but I, I mean, only him and the trainers, really only, he know what happened. And, uh, but like I said, Jay, Jay had taken a trillion hits over the years. So I, I, I don't think, you know, he hadn't tapped out before, so. Right, it, it's just the whole timing of it was oh, the big sucks. issue, the NFC Championship game. So, of course, it's going to – if that had happened, man, you know, week eight of the regular season, well, everybody's probably like, yeah, just brush it off, whatever. Maybe you should have gone back out there. But in the NFC Championship game, it was such a bigger deal. Well, and in the optics of it, right? So, if it's, it's different if it's like, hey, um, I'm just going to go and say you get rolled up or if people see it. Like he got rolled up real bad, or they saw the hit and he's laid out on the field. Then he, you get a pass because everybody saw what happened. Well, nobody really knew what happened. Like you walked off the field and then you never come back. So it's still a mystery to this. Everybody's day. like, "What happened?" You know, if you walked off the field, you could have walked back. Also, it's just it, it's not a great situation to be in. And that's the difference between, I mean, I Aaron Rodgers. Right. Anytime he gets breathed on, it's like everybody knows about it. You know, with his toe injury, it was like he made it known to everybody, showed his toe at oh, the camera God, and everything like so that. So many excuses. For this. It was ridiculous. But, like, then you've got another – and obviously Aaron Rodgers one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, but then you've got the other end of the spectrum, which is Jay Cutler, and it's like you don't hear – you. we literally still haven't heard. You know what I mean? And it was like Tom Brady last year about playing on the torn MCL – we didn't know that until training camp this past season yeah. that he played all last year on a torn MCL. Which is an old school. That's an old school thing. Like, which is why I was surprised. Aaron Rodgers been around a long time, so I'm surprised he's on there talking about. Because old school, you don't talk about your injuries. Like, if you got a, you roll one ankle, you take both ankles because you don't know want people to know which ankles hurt. Old school don't even want to tell you what's hurt. Like, because we gonna attack it. Like, if dude got a bad leg, I'm gonna try to cut him. I mean, that's just what it is. Like, you. You ain't trying to give nobody any breaks. You're trying to gain whatever competitive advantage you can. So, old school Tom Brady, he got a torn. He's not gonna tell anybody because you don't want you don't want the defense to know you're hampered. Right. They might change the pressure pack. They might change something up, knowing like, hey man, he kind of hobbled, you know. So, it, I was actually surprised at Aaron Rodgers, but Aaron Rodgers is a different cat. So he looks like he's a. Uh, he looks like a different cat. So, so w with what you were kind of just saying, were you ever one of those offensive linemen that would go out in the Chicago winter, you know, in the sub-zero temperatures before a game with your shirt off, like just just in your shorts, you know, no shoes on, just going out there like that? No, I wouldn't have no – I wouldn't go out there with no no shirt off or nothing, but we go out there in shorts and stuff and get ready. and We didn't wear – So you're not that old-school mentality is what you're saying. I didn't wear no telling, sleeves man. or nothing. You know? Like, we didn't wear sleeves or anything. You know, we were out there bare-armed and all that, but I ain't walking around <laughs> naked. I'm, I'm from Louisiana, man. Come on. <laughs> um, I mean, while we're on – the subject of Jay Cutler. One last Jay Cutler question. What kind of and and I I feel like I already know the answer just because how you've been talking about him. What kind of a leader was Jay Cutler? Um, because that's I mean you got to admit that's something that people have always misconstrued throughout like Jay Cutler's career is like does he even care? Like look at his you know mannerisms on the sideline. Like he looks like he he's not even into it. Yeah, I mean. Jay Jay led by example for the most part. You know he he put in work. He worked hard in the off season. He he was a weight room guy. Um, when I got to Vandy, he benched more than me by a lot. I mean, pretty much everybody did. But wow. Jay was one of the stronger guys. On he his rep test was up over over twenty. He was fast. He worked hard, and um, the leader he was 
he was probably hmm, his leadership style. It definitely translated better in college okay. because I feel like in college playing at Vandy expectations are a little lower and him being the alpha dog was, was a his lot thing. more right. and it was more clear cut. So it was like, then you jump to the pros in the locker rooms a little different. This ain't Vandy kids. You know, you got some, there's some dudes in here. So, you gotta be. It, it's 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 more of a kind of like a politician type role where you gotta kind of you gotta have a feel for it. You know what I'm saying? So uh, he led by example for the most part, and uh, you know his body language sucked at times, and he put his hands on the lineman one time, which was yeah, which was ridiculous and stuff like that, and uh, you know, but you know it, it was a tough spot to be in, man. He, he come they traded for him in Chicago. He was supposed to come be the savior. You know, he was the Build and still is build is probably one of the most talented quarterbacks to ever to ever put on a Bears jersey as far as pure talent. But when oh, you- statistically, he's he's the greatest Bears quarterback yeah. of all time. There, fun fact for everybody: uh, the Chicago Bears have never had a four thousand yard passer yeah. ever. So it's like talent wise, he had all the tools and stuff, and it just didn't click. And you know, he take he gets more blame than he deserves about stuff like nobody ever talks about the coaches and we had a lot going on as far as what was going on between Mike Martz and Mike Tice and what was going on behind the scenes. We had, I think we had four or five head coaches that had guys that head coached in the league, Mike Martz, Mike. Rob Marinelli, Lovey Smith, Mike Tice, and the dynamics that that created. Like we had coaches sabotaging stuff. Like it, it was, it was nuts. Chicago was nuts, man. Like <laughs> Martz, I mean, he was your OC. Yeah, for 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 your years throughout, right? No, no, he was my OC from ten at ten, eleven, twelve. Okay, I mean, was he? How big of a genius was he? Oh, I mean, he he was a pretty Martz. I remember when it clicked for me with Martz. So Martz, a big formation guy. Yeah. So he's always trying to formation mm-hmm. people in and out of their defenses, and so. I remember we were playing Jacksonville, maybe. We were playing somebody in Chicago, and we had this play we were running to in the nub side. We had a tight end wing set and two receivers to the field, and it was this outside run play. We ran with Matt Forte. We called it a wall out of flank, which was the formation, 80 and 90 wall. And I remember me and Garza turning the corner. I'm looking for the – I need to get the picture because we were running this counter play that worked real good for us and stuff. And we turned the corner. Garza was first, and he blocked the guy. And then my hand just went up in there because there was nobody else there. It was like 30 yards out. I mean, it was like he had formation his defense. They got misaligned. We got the edge, and we were gone. So stuff like that would happen where you'd be like, damn, this is this is genius. But then, like, you hear about we traded Greg Olson. And got I was Grand, about to get to, get to that. Grandin Maliyama. Who's a, who's a cool dude blocking tight end, but it was like we traded Greg Olson because Marston used a tight end in his offense. So some of the stuff was a little archaic, like, like damn, what are we doing? And then like that's why him and Mike Tice were beefing all the time because Marston wanted to throw hot on everything. He never he didn't want to do protection adjustments. Everything was built in to whatever the passing plays were. They, all the glances, all the looks, everything was built in. So if you got a quarterback that can handle that and receivers that can handle it and see it, then you can sit there and you don't have to change anything in offense. Mike Tice wants to pick everything up. So he wanted to repoint everything. And we had the center, Olin Krutz, one of the best centers all time. That dude could see everything. So 
we had the ability up front to repoint stuff, but that wasn't what Mike Marks wanted to do. That's not how his offense was built. So he he did – there were times when you'd be there and you'd be like, damn, that's pretty – you know, this yeah. is some pretty good stuff, you know. But but uh, other times it just – we were just – I remember we played Seattle the first time in 2010 because we beat them in the playoffs in 2010. Yep. That was Beast Quake here, actually. Yeah, Beast Quake, yeah. They beat the Saints the week before. The week before yeah. in Seattle, which Seattle's like the hardest place to play in the league. And um, so – they, they the first time we played them in Chicago is actually when I did this finger. They kept bringing a five man pressure. It was just they were bringing the nickel Sam and a and a weak a wheel defender, and we had this protection we were running that was jacked up, and we kept getting beat by a five. It was a seven man protection, and we kept getting beat by this five man pressure, <laughs> over and over and over. And it was so it was just like I don't know. And then that happens, and everybody's like, offensive line sucks. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean, and it's like, yeah, I mean, I get it, but this protection is jacked. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. It it was interesting. So, did you guys go in to tell the tr- truth Monday, and you know, point out to the coaches like like Mars, like, hey, dude, uh, we had yeah seven man protection, but this is why it was screwed up. Well, it was because him and it was because what him and Tice had going on, and and so, I mean, and we were we were kind of like bastardizing some protections just to. It was like a, a, a meshment of two systems. And so we got it ironed out, but it was just, you know, through the process, it's frustrating. You know, you're trying to iron this stuff out on the fly when it's like, we need to, this should already be handled, you know? So, so th- you mentioned Greg Olson. That was actually my next question. So fast forward to the 2011 season. The Chicago Bears have been notorious for not really paying players. Yeah. Greg Olson, you know, he was he was on his rookie deal, so they went ahead and traded him away. And, yeah, I'm looking at his numbers now that you say that. Uh, 391 yards, 574, 612, and then his last year in Chicago was 404. Uh, touchdowns went 2, 5, 8, and then 5. I mean, for a guy like Greg Olson, that is pretty shocking. I never realized that that – Chicago didn't really utilize Greg Olson, especially like as young as he was, you know, and then he goes to, to Carolina and he's got one, two, 3000 yard seasons and he's got two 800 yard seasons. I mean, that's gotta be pretty frustrating. Yeah. Like knowing how, how Greg Olson, how his talent actually was to see it play out. And then it's like, you know, as a former teammate, it's like, man, why didn't we use him like that when he was with Chicago? Well, we had, you know, Ryan Turner was there my first couple of years. That's who Noah Turner's brother, Ryan Turner was there, and Ryan's offense was was pretty uh, boring, and so you would have liked to see Martz come in and run Greg, just use the Y and some F spots and just move Greg around and like make him a matchup thing. But the tight end thing was kind of a thing, but it it wasn't like it is now. Like when I was in the league, tight end still had to block. People wanted them to be able to hold their own on the edge, and now they don't even care. It's like we don't care if you block anybody, right? You know, so he he was in a position where I felt like where they were trying to make him block and and do things of that nature, and the offense just wasn't that inventive. And you look at stuff now, like you say, he goes to Carolina. It's like Cam Newton's favorite target, and mm-hmm. he has a great career, which he deserved because he worked his tail off, and he was a he's a very talented player. And you just I remember we were in the weight room together in. In Bourbonnais, when he got traded, I, I was, I, I'm pretty sure, 
Yeah, my memory service correct. I remember standing in the weight room and we found out he got traded, and I was like, "Damn, that's cold." Like, because he's one one of our better offensive weapons. We didn't we didn't have a ton outside at right. that time, so it was like Greg was the guy, you know. So, so 2012, your last your last year with the Bears, um, you played a few games, right? And then and then you got injured. No, I I, I kind of fell out of favor there in, in Chicago. I I got put in this kind of fake competition for my job in camp, and and then Tice, um, I didn't win the competition. They say so. I kind of shut it down. I I mean I, I I went to a bad spot and I wasn't engaged and stuff. And so they ended up they ended up releasing me in mid season, and. Um, you got picked up by the Rams. Yeah, I I could have went. I, I had I went to Philly and visited. I went to Arizona and visited. Went to the Rams. We actually what actually happened was my my wife ended up having a miscarriage, and so I wanted to stay closer to Memphis where her family is. So I ended up going to St. Louis, and um, but we man, you know, it was it was just uh, leaving Chicago was rough because you know I've been a first round pick and all you know. And so it felt like I had let people down without getting into everything that was going on behind the scenes at that time. You know, you don't really get a chance to, to really out your side. And really in my place, it'll, it'll come out in the rinse. But, it, you know, I found out after the fact that, that Philly had tried to trade for me in the preseason and stuff like that. So there was an out there, allegedly, from what I heard, that could have made everybody, you know, everybody look good or, you know, but it, that ain't Man, playing with uh, Vic and, and- – Andy Reid would have made yeah, your life like, a lot easier. Because <laughs> Juan Castillo was there at the time, and Juan, the offensive line coach, and Juan had worked me out in uh, coming out of college and stuff. So we had a little bit of relationship and, and that type of thing. So, I mean that that was a that was like the a, the tough time of my career, you know, because you you thinking like, okay, you're gonna get it on track, but I, I hadn't held up my end of the bargain there in Chicago, so I couldn't I couldn't really blame. Him. I didn't think there was going. I didn't. I knew I wasn't looking at a second contract at that point, but I, I didn't think I was looking at them releasing me mid-season. But like I said, that was partially on me because I had just, I had disengaged. And to that point, before that, I was like the good teammate. I was helping guys mm-hmm. protection, and then I just kind of, as the season progressed, I just kind of went to a funk. And I was, I, I mean, I was going to work every day, but I wasn't, I wasn't checked in. So, so that season, uh, that's when Chicago added Brandon Marshall and yeah. also Alshon Jeffrey. So kind of reiterating or going back to what you just said you know you you guys didn't really have the outside threats but now you've got Brandon Marshall you got Alshon Jeffrey I mean yeah you you know you got released midway through the season but you were there OTAs training yeah. camp with those guys and for a few games how how big of a difference was it going from the lack of weapons per se at the receiver position from before to having guys like Alshon Jeffrey and Brandon Marshall in the offense well, Alshon was still he was young. He had just got drafted, so I don't I don't even know if they knew what they had in Alshon at that point. He was just kind of coming in. But Brandon Brandon Marshall was kind of a freak of nature. Like, um he was nuts though, man. Like he was kind of a wild card. You didn't know what you were gonna get from him day to day. Right. That's when he was uh struggling with his bipolarness, correct? Yeah, it's a I think it's actually like a personality Personality thing. disorder. Yeah. yeah, that might be it. But so he was I think he was figuring a lot of that stuff out at that time. But uh he was that dude was good, man. Like he was the best receiver I had. I had been on the field, you know, on on my team with, um, and the ability to get open, good hands and stuff like that, you know. And so 
and him and Jay had a relationship mm-hmm. from Denver. So, and I'm sure that played a part in it, but it was just, I mean, you think about having Brandon Marshall and Greg Olson. How does that work? You know, yeah. that that's a lot more dangerous. So, and Matt Forte was one of the, one of the better pass catching backs. Oh, that's stud. Fantasy man. stat, stat sheet stuffer. Oh, Matt sure. was a guy like, for a guy that wasn't fast, I never saw him get caught. So you know, <laughs> he was just always so smooth. Like Matt was just like this, this Cadillac of a player and, and Matt's a great dude, man. I, I mean, all, all you guys had before at the receiver position, before Brandon Marshall, which, you know, it wasn't very long, but was Devin Hester. We had Devin, you know, Earl Bennett and Rasheed Davis and um, Marty Booker was there for a little bit. And, and Marty was on the backside of his career. And, and uh, I think that was his second stint back in Chicago. And, like, we had Johnny Knox. Yeah. He was a player, but then Johnny ended up – his career got ended in, on a, in a bad hit. Um, he had a good NFC Championship game in, in 2010. Johnny was a blazer, mm-hmm. man. Like, he was just one of them electric guys. But being on the field with Devin Hester was was awesome. That dude – I mean, he was, like, our, the best part of our offense at times because the whole thing on our offense in Chicago was, like, hey, man, don't – like, defense would tell us, like, you guys don't give up any points. Don't turn the ball over. Like, if you got a punt, that's fine. Because they were fine going out there. Because eventually they was going to kick it to Hester. And they kick it to Hester, they was in trouble. Like, I, I ain't never seen anything like it. It was it was just an awesome sight, man. What kind of, uh, I mean, what kind of a teammate was Devin Hester, like, in the oh, locker room? Devin was cool, man. He was a great teammate. He was I mean, because, you know, he came, came from Miami. Yeah, you know, those guys were sometimes wild cards, you know? Yeah, <laughs> no, Devin was real cool, man. He was a lot of fun to be around. And uh, we we had a good time in Chicago's locker room. We played a, a decent amount of dodgeball, offense versus defense, and and Devin was a good teammate. He was he was fun to be around. It's a shame that you know Chicago always felt like they tried to increase his role, DB and receiver and this stuff because yeah. he had such an effect on the game. And you look at where the kicking game is now. There's there's virtually in just punt returns. There's really no kickoff returns anymore. But what he did on punts and kickoffs, I mean. I've, I've been in the stadium. The stadium would be electric for him because, you know, it was Soldier Boy at the time. So they play Soldier Boy, and he'd be out there, Superman and stuff. And then he would get the ball sometimes. And you see people's hands going up like, he's going to go to the house, and he, there he goes. And it's just like, it, I mean, and you don't even count like all the other yards. You, you talk about just the touchdowns he scored, but then you look at all the other yards he had, the ones that were called back and stuff. He yeah. was, Devin was special, man. He had a whole, that was the first time I seen, like he had another gear. Another guy I never yeah. seen get caught. He did, like he would you see him weaving through, and then he would hit the opener, and it was like it was like he downshifted and then fastest player you've ever played with, yeah, including probably. Sammy Watkins, yeah, yeah, probably so. Sammy was Sammy was dinged up when I was in Buffalo. Yeah, that he year. always had hamstring yeah, issues. Yeah, so right? I never really saw Sammy like run, run, and like Marquise Goodwin was fast yeah. and stuff like that. But like Devin was just like, and Johnny Knox could run too. Johnny might have been the fastest guy, but. Only got him in a sharp burst. Devin was just like it was the he was just different man. Even though I did see when <laughs> Julius Peppers first training camp in Chicago, he gets there, he probably like three hundred pounds or so. He's out there in practice with with full sauna suit on, getting the weight off, and like Devin catches this this quick screen, and like so Devin quick screen, you know, it's practice, so he's breaking it up the field, and then you just see like this giant man running like looking like running down the field and you're like he's gonna catch him and then the film cuts off you're like <laughs> that's scary he, you know six six three hundred pounds and he's like he's closing the gap so <laughs> hey peppers peppers was different man and that's actually what 
to close out the Chicago chapter of your career, um, that's kind of what I want to ask you. So, you know, you played offense, defense, defensive side of the ball. You play with Erlacher. You played with uh, Lance Briggs. You played with Peppers, a um, bunch of other guys. In practice, OTAs, training camp, whatever, you know, you go through one-on-one drills, all that stuff, and, you know, obviously team periods. Who was the hardest guy to to Pepper. get your hands on? Pepper. Peppers. By far. Yeah. You didn't even have to think about it. No, I mean, Tommy Harris, like when Tommy was, was healthy, Tommy Harris was a freak. Um, Alex Brown was a good player, too, yeah. for the Bears. Uh, and we had, you know, Spice Adams was there, too, yeah. which, and he was hilarious. But but Peppers, like, was a whole – when he got to Chicago, I like to say we battled, but it, it wasn't – I didn't win enough to, for it to be a battle, man. I He – like – <laughs> He was so long, man, because I'm not super long as a tackle. And he could, like, like if he long arm stabbed me, it's like a little brother. I couldn't, like, I couldn't. You couldn't, couldn't even get grab him. To him. His yeah. shirt, you know what I mean? So, Pep was, uh, and he was so strong. And his balance was always so good as far as he had, like, the, the hump move. So, if you overplayed him at all upfield, I mean, he would just hump you back. And he was so strong and so long because he would just, like, wrap his arm, his inside arm back around you and just, and just hump you back. So, he was um very special player. He was always a guy. I remember, uh, t- like Olin was saying in the locker room, he's like, man, all you got to do is get Pep to – just get him to the Super Bowl. He'll win the game for you. Like, you get him to the Super Bowl because he was just that dominant. Like, he was – he he come up big plays, and he played the run. Because we played – our Chicago's defense um, was over cover two, you know, Tampa two. Mm-hmm. And then their run front would be under cover one, which would put him in a tight five – you know, next to the tight end. Yeah, squeeze down a little bit. Man, he would play that tight five. Like, I swear he could play He could play three. He could play a head-up four technique. He probably would have been a really good four technique, too, like a, in a three-four. Like, he was just nuts. Like, And I remember I, I knew about him first as a basketball player at UNC. Yeah. We were seeing him playing basketball. So we played the we played the D-line of basketball one year, and we were like, he can't play. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like no, he can't. Mm-mm. No, you go sit down. <laughs> like, that's your coach. Wasn't even fair. <laughs> Um, so 2012, you get picked up by the Rams. Um, you play with Sam Bradford, uh, yeah. Steven Jackson, uh, 2013, you wind up playing with Tavon Austin. Yeah. Um, you also play with my boy, Danny Amendola. Yeah. Danny, um, Danny's a good dude. So not to bring up bad memories, but in 2012, you lost to the Patriots again. Do you yeah. remember that score? Because it was even worse than the Blizzard Bowl. 2012, I probably was – was I in – oh, I was in St. Louis. You were in St. Louis. Oh, that was my first game. It was in London. We yep, got it smacked. was in London, yep. Man, I was telling that London story today. And uh, so I, I get cut by Chicago, and I'm deciding where I'm going to go. Deciding I'm going to go to St. Louis. So I signed with St. Louis. I, I missed one week. I signed with St. Louis the next week. And my agent told me, he was like, hey – if you go to St. Louis, if you go see Jeff Fisher, you're going to sign in St. Louis. I'm like, man, whatever. I'm going to go check it out. I'm going to go around. So I went, met with Jeff Fisher, and I ended up signing with St. Louis. Like Jeff a lot. Could play 100 years for Jeff, felt like. And um, I signed with St. Louis, and it's like a Monday. I signed like the Monday after that Sunday of games. And get on a plane and fly to London with a whole team of people I don't, even, I don't know anybody, you know. You're trying to learn the schemes as you're on the uh, on the flight. Well, then I learned the scheme. So I learned the book, 
you know, but there's a difference between like learning in the book and then like knowing the way that it's stuff line calls way the way it operates. Like the way it is written in the book and the way it usually operates, uh, there's some disconnect there because they kind of recreated almost a shorthand and merged some things. So I learn it, and uh, by the end of the week, you know, I'm I'm, I'm keeping up with offense somewhat. But you know, snap counts always tricky when you get somewhere. Yeah. How, how they use the cadence and stuff, and so Coach Boo. Uh, Paul Boudreaux is like, yeah, you won't have to play, and so I'm like, cool, like I'm like, cause I don't know it that well, and so we get like day before the game or two days before the game, uh, I think it was Wayne Hunter messed his back up or something. Somebody got hurt, and then they're like, you got to dress, but you ain't gonna have to play. I'm like, okay, cool. So I dress, and then somebody gets hurt in the game. <laughs> I ended up having to play against the Patriots in London, and I've been there like four days, like. <laughs> And we got smacked. Like, <laughs> do you remember the score? Yeah, it was probably like forty-eight to seven or something. I don't even know. Forty-five to seven. That, yeah. that was that was pretty close. Yeah, it was. That was bad. That was one of the worst ones I took in the league. We got they were the Patriots were good that year. So yeah, um, Brandon Lloyd had a touchdown and Gronkowski had a hat trick. Yeah, <laughs> I believe it. They were they were good and we were we were trying to figure it out. So they were that Rams team I was on was pretty young. So, um. You also played with Chris Long. Yeah, Chris Long. Yeah, I like Chris a lot, man. So compare Chris Long to Julius Peppers. Oh, man, you can't compare Chris Long to Julius. That's not fair to Chris, man. Chris, uh, he a whole different kind of player. Chris is a – I mean, he's a big dude, but not big like Julius big. And Chris is a motor guy. Like Right. Chris was more of a, a pass rusher type of player, whereas you said, you know, Julius could play both the run and the pass. Well, Chris played both too, but Chris was – Chris was just he he didn't have I mean he was physically gifted but not like Julius was physically gifted like Julius's arms was super long and the way his torso was made it just made him a difficult block and and the way he played he just was really good and Chris was good too but Chris was Chris was an effort player like he was he, quick yeah every play every game which Julius didn't I mean I never played at him in the game but he never looked like he was taking a whole lot of plays off but Chris was just like a a motor guy and uh, he had a good bit of wiggle too, you know, um, as a pass rusher. And and I think, I mean, he made his career as a pass rusher. I mean, that's what later on his career, Philly and New England and stuff like just rushing the passer, coming in situationally rushing the yeah. passer because he had good burst off the edge his whole career. That was kind of his deal. They played the wide nine a lot with uh, with Jim Swartz, and and he could he could get home. So twenty fourteen, you signed your deal with the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, uh, over four years. Um, you guys went went nine and seven that year in, yeah. in twenty fourteen. The crazy thing is, looking at this roster, oh, it was nuts. You guys should have should have been so much better we if you guys stacked. were probably in any other division. We were stacked, man. That you team. guys would have made a playoff run. That, I mean, that defense was like as good as Chicago's when I was there. Like on paper, that defense was just nuts. I mean, these these names. I mean, Kyle Marcel, Williams, Marcel, Marcel Darius, Jerry Hughes, Kiko Alonso. Gilmore, Stephon Gilmore, uh, Aaron Williams was playing the other corner, who was a really good corner at the time. Who were the safeties? Oh, we had um, the North Cersei, who the Titans ended up signing, was one of our safeties. And who was the other safety? Man, that team was stacked. Spikes came over that year from New England. Yep, Spikes. Um, uh, y'all had Hogan, which you told Chris me Hogan. that Hogan was one of the most athletic dudes that that you had ever oh, been around. I had never seen nothing like that. Hogan was nuts, man. He, 
you know, everybody's like, oh, this dude's a lacrosse player and all this stuff. And I mean, in, in workouts, he was just, he's a workout warrior. And he was, he was so athletic. Like Hogan was a, you know, he was, he was a guy winning like all the weightlifting competitions and stuff. Cause he was just for his weight, like pound for pound, he was super athletic and strong and stuff. So Hogan was, I was happy to see him get to New England, get paid cause they didn't use him right in Buffalo. So how many uh how many will oh you guys also had robert woods robert uh, offensive woods. wise you had robert woods sammy watkins you had cj spiller um fred taylor was there that year man i think that was fred's last year maybe so how many how many williams were on that team it was me kyle williams mario williams aaron williams is it four seven what is seven aaron williams you duke williams that's right, Duke Williams. Kyle yeah. Williams, Mario Williams, Mike Williams. Mike Williams. Oh, that's right. Mike did come that year too. Yep. Yep. I think I was I think I was hurt when Mike got No, I do remember Mike being there. And I forgot Mario was there, who was huge. Another one of that monster D lineman we had. Like that D line was nuts. Mario was built like a damn house. I I mean that dude's shoulders are so wide. So I know I know you were only only there for a year, but Gilmore. It's crazy because I remember watching Gilmore play against the Patriots when he was with the Bills, and in 2016, Hogan cooked him on a deep route, um, and, and Gilmore like turned to the free safeties and was like, you know, what are y'all doing type thing? And I was like, man, this guy stinks. And then he gets with Bill Belichick, and he's like almost a completely <laughs> different player. But like when he was with Buffalo, he was the starting starting corner. But like, did you guys see that? Like oh, yeah. that potential from from stuff. Yeah, he was he was locked down in Buffalo too, and he's um, a quiet guy too. Super quiet, very very humble dude. I like stuff a lot. We we had some conversations while I was there. You know, a great player, and he was on that trajectory. I mean, they had drafted him. They knew what they had, and uh, Buffalo was just a lot of turmoil. They were going through ownership change at that time. The Marone was there. Marone, yeah, Marone. Marone. You know, Nathaniel Hackett was there. Yep. Um, Jim Schwartz was the DC. Jim Schwartz was DC, and so, and weirdly enough, at that time, Aaron Williams was the guy. Stephon wasn't the guy. Aaron Williams was kind of the guy, and uh, you know, you see Steph kind of a sin out of that role. But I feel like the Bills, because they drafted him so out of South Carolina, so you, you figure they knew what they had, or at least what his potential was. So when they let him go, you hate to see guys go. It's like you hate to see Hogan go or Robert Woods. Like Robert Woods is carved a great career out for himself and mm -hmm. it's like it's good to see guys go on you know and do well and in whatever situation it is and a lot of times it's in the division because they play you twice a year and so you get an intel from your own players like man that dude's pretty good like that's how much a situation matters in the nfl yeah like who you're with i mean just going down the line of these players it's like wow they had like an all-star cast but they went nine and seven but it's all those other factors that go into it with the ownership change, you know, question marks on the coaching staff, maybe things like that. Like just a whole bunch of factors that people don't really take into account. It's almost like Matthew Stafford with Detroit. It's like, look at what he had to deal with his whole career. What, it, and then they, all the pressures are falling on the kid, you know, to, to save this franchise, whatever, excuse me. And we do take some responsibility on that, but it's not all on the players. It's like you get, if a guy gets drafted to an organization in turmoil, they can't, they're not going to save it, you know. And usually the higher to pick, the worse the organization is, at least what kind of shape they're in. So you think about a guy like Jamarcus Russell. Mm -hmm. If he don't go to Oakland, how does that turn out for him? If he goes somewhere different, it may be the same. It might be different. I mean, you still got to watch tape. Yeah, you still got to watch you tape. You remember that but, that famous story. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, like Michael Vick talks about not watching tape, you know. So it's like 
and it's like, how do you make these guys watch? Hey, how do you? And you got to want to be a pro. We always talk about being a pro, and you got to have a good veteran leadership. But that, like, like there's 32 teams. Every team's different in the way they do everything, and that's just the, the facts. Like the way teams do, there's there's no uniformity other than the uniforms of what NFL teams do team to team. It's all different from their nutrition to the way they train guys to the way they practice. Everything's different, you know. Other than what's negotiating the CBA, they everybody does because everybody's trying to find an edge. What's the edge? What's the edge? What's the edge? You know, and um, you know some some NFL coaches just aren't very good coaches. I mean, it's like any other. You know, you coach in the NFL, I mean, you're a good coach. You know, yeah. And so that was when you when you're going through a lot of change with coaches as a player, you got to find your center and like you got to find what works for you. Like I remember being with Sam Bradford and him having new OCs and new coach every year, every year, every year, every new year. OC, new coach, and it's like. How you expect a kid to succeed in this situation? It was like Mariota with Tennessee. Yeah, you got you go new OC every year. It takes like three years to fully get offense in and fully understand the ins and outs and nuances, and then it's like, hey, hey, we're gonna turn this thing over every every three hundred sixty five days. That's just not you're not putting him in a in a position to succeed. So so ending out your career with the with the Bills. So you signed the four year deal. I had back surgery, three back surgeries that year. That first year in Buffalo, I I got hurt in like the fourth game, and then. Ended up having surgery in October and then again in November and then again in February. So, and then that was it. Was the desire just kind of gone after that, after your third surgery? It was just kind of like, man, what am I? Well, I got. I mean, you were at what, 20? You were 27, 28? I was right at 30. You were at 30? Yeah, 29, 30. I was fifth year senior at Vandy. So I was right at 30. And, uh, I, I mean, I got retired. My doctor was like, hey, you want to play with your kids when you go? He's like, you can't play anymore. I was looking at a long fusion to even try to play, or a short fusion, which was going to turn into a long fusion. And it just it just, it wasn't worth even trying to go back. So he was like, you're done. And, you know, it was a career and an injury, essentially. Which sucked, because I wanted to finish that deal in Buffalo. I, I planned to play those four years and be done, but. Right. I guess as soon as you start planning your retire, but you could just pack it up because I mean you got your guaranteed, you, you got your signing bonus. I mean you know. I mean how it is. Cool. I mean I, <laughs> I ain't complaining. Like I, you know, I, I did I did good for myself. I, I'm not mad at it, but it's like the competitor in me always feels like you left something out there because you, you know I left Chicago with a chip on my shoulder. You always feel like you got something to prove, and like I have I have carved out a lane for myself as a as a, a solid starting guard in the league, and and I was playing guard and having fun and doing good, you know, and. We had just went back to Chicago, rushed for like 200 yards, you know, beat them up, and and uh, you know, then it was over. So, <laughs> your draft class was the last draft class under that specific rookie deal under the CBA. Is that correct? Uh, or I think I it was one more. Year? It was okay. two because Matt Stafford was the next That's year, right. and yeah. then because the Matt Stafford deal is what pushed it over the top. <laughs> Everybody went ballistic after that because he got like a hundred mil. Everybody's yeah. like, "Oh, come on, man!" And then they redid the CBA to. The NFL just screwed themselves because they what they ended up doing was the players, the veteran players, was pissed about the rookie deals, and then what ended up happening is they they boxed their own market out. So the middle class in the NFL is gone because you got rookies and then you got high paid veterans. There's no longer ten year special team guys. Matt Slater's like the exception in the rule of that, but he's been around through that whole deal, you know, and. There's just not any more like Mario Haggins and 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 Jamar Williams and and guys I played with that were they play special they're four phasers we call it a four phaser they come in and they play special teams they make two three million dollars a year and that's what they do but they're they're backup linebackers or backup receivers and they're important to your roster but now those are all rookies 
those they're all rookies. You just bring in a bunch of rookies, and then you you backload these veteran contracts, and then they don't understand. If you had let the if you had let the rookie deals keep going, because now they take shots on rookies. You can draft a guy; uh, he's not as polished. Well, I'm gonna draft him because I, I ain't got him but four years, and it ain't gonna cost me a ton of money. Whereas before, if you're gonna commit seventy million to a guy, a first number all pick, you know what? I'm gonna go get this quarterback out of free agency. It's gonna cost me twenty, you know, like, and I'm gonna take him instead, and then we'll get the guy we really want next year or two years. So it, it kind of clipped money ball type of type of vibe to it. Well, you cut you cut all the money. They're yeah. thinking that they're going to distribute it to everybody, but that's not how it happened. It went to a couple people. So so you can be as quick hit with these as you want. Best D-lineman you went against? Uh, in practice, it was Peppers for sure. Um, in the game, man, who would have been? You know, Hainsworth was a monster mm. for sure. He sacked me. He sacked Jay Cutler with me. It was like my second game at guard, and I felt like I got hit by the force. <laughs> so Hainsworth, when he wanted to play, was was absolutely unstoppable. And um, guys in the division, we had like uh, – I mean, you had Raji in your division. Raji wasn't – I mean, Raji was good, but he wasn't like – like I played against Justice Smith twice a year for, mm. you know, a year and a half. And so he was – Justin Smith was like he gave he got all those sacks for all the Smith. Like Justin Smith was one of the few guys you went against that was like, hey, he's gonna bull rushing and you know it and you're gonna have a hard time stopping it because he was just really, really strong. But um the best guy I mean it would be situationally, right? Like if you go to Seattle and you gotta cut off Brandon McBain on the tilt and you can't hear nothing, you mm-hmm. know, that's that's difficult. So it was on the road, some of those guys were just were just. I mean, everybody in the NFL is so good, man. But like Pat Williams on the nose was pretty good. I caught him toward the backside of his career. Um, you know, OC Ubernur, I saw them mm. straight hand. I caught the backside of his career, and I mean, every every team in the NFL got dudes. You had like, Tuck. You had you know oh yeah. I Will mean, Fork team, with the Pats. Will Fork, you know. Um, Mario Williams was in the league at the same time. Detroit had like Vandenbosch. He wasn't, he wasn't like that. But Sue was there. Sue was there. Yep. Right. Um, you know, you had like, I mean, it, it was dudes everywhere. Kyle Williams. Mm-hmm. Kyle Williams. Like, Kyle Williams is like my worst nightmare as far as me being inside because I'm a taller player. He's a shorter player, so he's naturally got leverage. He's so explosive. Like Kyle was a. I was an animal, man. Like that Aaron Donald effect. Yeah. You know, not a tall guy, not but he's tall guy, stout but and he's stout quick. And yeah, quick and powerful. Like Kyle was a Kyle was a monster. I, I like I like Kyle a lot. He was he was another player that sucked to practice against because he he played hard. So best player you played with? Best player I played with at offense. Offense line? defense don't don't matter. Well, at offensive line, the best player I played with is probably Olin Cruz. Is going to be mm-hmm. the best the best player. He's super smart. Great player, great leader, kind of crazy. We'll still keep up with him. He's a good dude. He got like a 25 kids and Hawaiian dude, man. And and so uh, Olin was, I think he's seven-time All-Pro or something, and just just steady, man, just rock steady. He, he kind of ran our whole team there in Chicago. Um, and then just best player I played with overall, with like Erlacher or Briggs, man, like 
those dudes would do stuff like I've seen them win us games. Like, I I don't think Lance Briggs is talked about enough. Obviously, like Erlacher gets his shine with right. Boogie, kind know. of being the face of of Chicago. Yeah. But Lance Briggs, dude, Briggs like, people forget about that guy. You hear stories about running backs saying that Briggs was the guy they worried about. He played he played behind a three technique man, and he made so many. Like you look at his highlight tape. Somebody put a tape up. I saw a couple weeks back, and you look at his tape. Some of the plays he made, forced fumbles and picks, and like. Those dudes would just come up with plays at the like, just not even being just like they were good, really good players. But then they they made these plays like the one time I might have been one of the only times we beat Green Bay when I was there. Green Bay was driving down the field and they f- strip a guy on the sideline and they recover, win the game. It's like they would make these timely plays that would just change the game and they they won us a lot of games. So those dude, those two dudes right there were were good. And then and then like even Matt Forte, man, Matt Forte could play too. Matt Forte was a real good player, man. So, I don't know, man. It, it, everybody in the NFL is good, but there's, there's some guys that are just real special. And for you, what was the best part of your game and what was also the worst part of your game that you kind of look back on and be like, man, I should have worked on X, Y, Z a little bit more? Oh, the best part of my game was just my athleticism probably and and – how smart I was, I, I generally knew what was happening in front of me. By I hope time. you were more athletic back then than I see you on the basketball court. <laughs> Come on, man. You see, you see these feet, man. No, I was, I was, uh, probably my athleticism and then like my preparation because by, you know, I got settled in and you kind of know what's coming. So, uh, that helped a lot. And then the worst part of my game would just be dealing with power, like stopping the bull is something I struggled with at that level, you know, after my first surgery and stuff, just I didn't have as much bend as I had before. So just figuring out how to how to deal with that and, and, and grow inside. Like once I moved inside, just changing positions. But Yeah, you played all five at one point, correct? Never like it's played some, center in the You game. never played center. Not okay. in the game. I played center, but not in the game. I was emergency center. I'm left handed, so oh. it's weird. Like so quarterbacks don't That's want way take, different. They don't want to take a snap from a left handed center. <laughs> like, I, remember, I remember snapping the ball. They were like, What? Like <laughs> they're like, What what just happened? Like, why did they come up like that? Because you know the nose comes up on the other side. And uh it was like I'm left handed. So I remember they tried to make me snap right handed because they were like, This ain't gonna work. <laughs> and then when you shotgun the ball spinning the other direction, you know. Yeah, that's so, true. Yeah. The Chiefs, I think the Chiefs have a left-handed center. Yeah, Creed sure. Yeah. Um, do you remember what Mel Kuyper said whenever no. you got drafted? Well, I remember what Mel Kuyper said, man. Come on. Well, you you, you kind of said it. You the the one knock that he had on you whenever your name got announced was strength. He oh, said yeah. he said probably needs to get in the weight room, but an athletic guy. So the reason why I asked that question is because I watched what Kuyper said about you, and it's. You hit it right on the head oh, when yeah. you said athleticism was your best part. However, I, you know, weight room probably you know stuff like that was a little bit more. Well, yeah, because you know SEC at that time was pretty much all speed guys. You know, Derek Harvey and and you had a bunch of guys that that hit the edge pretty hard. So I didn't see a ton of the the speed, the power. Like you don't see that complexity of moves in college. Or I did not at that time. And everybody kind of had one move, may have a counter. You get to the pros, they're reading the rush throughout, and guys have speed to power. So dealing with speed to power is always a thing, and then learning how to set inside the offense. And and there's all different types of things. You know, it's, it's just you try to figure it out on the fly. So we've been talking for an hour. Preview for the Super Bowl this weekend. Bengals-Rams. 
Now, I'm sure it drives you absolutely nuts to see the Bengals' offensive line get Joe Burrow murdered just about every single week. Did you know that against the Titans, Joe Burrow got sacked nine times? Nine times, yeah. First time in NFL history that a team has won a playoff game when the quarterback has been sacked nine times. That's the Titans' fault, though. That ain't got nothing to do with I mean, Joe Burrow won the game, the Titans lost it. So, I mean, you can say what you want, but they – the three picks by Tannehill mm-hmm. should have fed four man. Uh, should have kicked the field goal. Should I mean you could second guess the whole way through, but they to me it was more of the Titans I, beating themselves love, type thing. I love Mike Vrabel. And oh yeah, the coach worst, of the year. That's the worst game I've seen him coach. Yeah, and uh, and and I feel like because they went for two when they got the penalty, and I felt like that forced him not to kick the field goal. Chris, I was watching that game with. Three other buddies, I think, at one of my friends' house. And we were all sitting down trying to figure out and do the math why they would have gone for two. It didn't make sense. <laughs> it, like, it, I don't, I don't, it didn't make sense. So, And I felt like that put them in position because if you kick the extra point there, then when you're getting ready to kick the – when you think about kicking the field goal going to fourth, you're going to go up four, mm-hmm. which is up a touchdown essentially. So I don't know. I mean, you gotta let them hang. So whatever is whatever. But I just felt I felt my my buddy Roger Saffold still plays for the Titans, and and when the Titans do good, Nashville's fun and stuff like that. So I mean, it just sucked. But like Joe Burrow, you gotta give him his credit too. Dude, dude, dude can ball, and it just shows like calm, cool, and collected. Nine sacks, right? But it shows you how that kid's an elite quarterback, and when you got a elite quarterback, like. He's making that line better than even they are, even with yeah. nine sacks. Like, cause that line probably don't get you to the playoffs with most quarterbacks. You ain't going to the playoffs. No. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no, there's no way. You know. But mm-hmm. with the Bengals' offensive line and their struggles going up against the Rams. Oh, I know. D line. It's kind of it's kind of crazy because you feel like okay, everything says the Rams gonna win, right? But it's like, so does that mean the Bengals? Because it's one of those things like if all the money's on the Rams. For, yeah, exactly. Betting purposes, you put all your money on the Bengals, on essentially. The Bengals, right? Yeah, just spread, it's like, to everything's cover the spread going, at least. Everything's going to the Rams side. And and by all, like I saw a bet today. I think I think Aaron Donald's like plus 1,200 to be Super Bowl MVP. And I might take some action on that. Like, cause yeah. <laughs> he is going to have a field day. That dude's he unblockable by good lines. So you put him out there and get a bad line. You got him, Von Miller, and Leonard Floyd. Like I dropped the fourth guy, I don't even care. Like <laughs> I dropped the fourth guy when and you would just rush three. Like if it third and long stuff like that, I'm dropping the fourth guy. I mean, you want to keep him in there to keep the doubles off of because you can't double but one guy. If, just drop him in a hook zone or a flat or or I just go three down sometimes just as because I mean they're gonna he's gonna tear them dudes apart. I mean, it, Von Miller on it. Von Miller's already been Super Bowl. He won the Broncos a Super Bowl, so he's already been Super Bowl MVP. He knows how to show up in big games and. And and they have a roster like I've been saying along. If you get Odell Beckham into a big game situation, he gonna he gonna make yeah. He's gonna show up. And you see they they got a stat like if he gets five balls, they've won every game but one I think or something like that. There's some stat out there. Odell Beckham catches five balls. I think they're eight and one or something. So you watch Sharma Vay gonna throw in the ball three times on the first drive. He does it like every game they come out they gonna give because Cooper Cup gonna get his. Yeah. So you come out and you, you just feed Odell and. And if he's a threat, it's just problem. You think they get Robert Woods back next year and stuff. So, but I I like to see. That. I mean, the Matt Stafford story is great, but the Joe Burrow story is great too. So, but the Rams defense is just they're nuts. Like they should blow. They're a matchup nightmare for just about everybody. They should blow the Bengals out, right? 
you got Jalen Ramsey, so Jamar Chase should be right. I mean, granted, you can't stop a good back shoulder. I mean, there's really no way to if the the that's I guess is the biggest problem is like when a quarterback and receiver have a connection like that and they're reading because a, a great throw beats great coverage every time. So if he's over the top, you throw a back shoulder. If he's trailing the back shoulder, he's gonna you throw it over the top, you know. So I I think yeah, it was like Brady's pass against uh uh to Mike Evans, you know his very last yeah. touchdown pass. It's like Jalen Ramsey just gave up a long like you never see that. Yeah, it's like so all you can do is I I don't believe I, Raheem Smart is a good coach. Yeah, they still not gonna single cover him, uh, even mm-hmm. if it's I mean you might. Obviously, sporadically, but you're not going to single cover Chase. You got to let T hit. Let everybody else. It's that Bill Belichick thing. It's like, let everybody else beat you. You're going to line up. And I I think if Cincinnati's smart, they come out and try to pound the ball. You try to get Mixon going and and try to, because if you get, if you let them get in, if you let the Rams, like if the Rams go up two scores, three scores, oh, it's over. It's going to get ugly fast. Like, so that, with you saying that the Bengals need to come out and pound the ball, the Rams lead the postseason in rush defense. They give up the fewest rushing yards. Yeah. So that's tough looking at it because I'm with you. Like, that's what I thought at first. But then whenever I was doing some research today, I was like, well, daggum, that might not work either. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But at the same time, it's like take away the best option. Best option is probably Jamar Chase. Yeah, no, it's definitely Jamar. Well, because he's, he's got the big playability. Yeah. Mix is good, but he probably not going to hit a home run on you. But – Jamar Chase will take the top off. Like, that dude will take a slant to the house if you give him too much room. So he's the, he's the problem. You know, he's the problem. So you 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 eliminate him. You make T. Higgins beat you. I don't know if Uzoma's going to be back or not. Um, I don't know. He had a really bad uh, – what was it, a sprain, MCL yeah, sprain, sprain or something so like that? he might be back, but we can assume he ain't going to be full strength regardless. So – you go out there, and then, and then that's the the biggest issue for the Bengals is the Rams can get home with four. Mm-hmm. They don't have to bring pressure, so you're gonna be playing against. They're gonna be dropping that, seven, playing real coverage. So, and that's how that's. I mean, going back to Tom Brady, that's how you b- beat Brady. Yeah. You rush four in the in the gaps in in the interior. You don't you don't rush upfield. No, up with the tackles. You you no, get you at his pot, feet yeah, and, then, and you muddy the middle of the field. Yeah, it's like with Joe Burrow. It's like kind of replicate that same formula in my opinion rush four right double chase if tyler boyd beats you whatever hats you off gonna, hats off gonna, to you you gotta deal with that like a boy and if there is a weakness with the rams it's their secondary besides Jalen ramsey it's like there's a weakness on that de- and and they're really weak at the linebacker position yeah. i think which is right behind aaron donald so if you're gonna pick a spot that's the spot you know now but, that i'm thinking about it, it could be a uh, big time screen pass game well, you're going to think they're going to have some screens and stuff coming because you got to slow down the rush somehow. And you want to get the ball out of his hands as quick as possible, especially early going. You got to let the – like, I think the Bengals are going to the game and they need to – they're trying to get the game to settle down and be at least tied, if not maybe even up if they can be, obviously. But if they let that initial rush hit them, L.A. playing in L.A., if they let the Rams come out and get up, jump on them early, it's going to be a long – and I know Jer Burrow come back and all that kind of – but it's going to be a long day if they let them jump out on them early. Who is this the biggest game for? I mean, it's uh, one player, right? I mean, it's got to be Matt Stafford, but – A lot's on McVay as well and the front office for the Rams. And people don't – people haven't well, yeah, been talking I mean, about that they because the they – Yeah, 
draft picks, they're not even a thing. Oh no, I mean it's they they've been. I mean, Devon Miller trade. If nothing showed you that they're in win right now mode, like this very second, they got a star-studded roster. Twenty twenty-four is when they have their next first-round draft right. pick. And so, and the Bengals are slapping the middle of a rebuild. I mean, they didn't think they'd be this good this year. They were like, "Hey, we're gonna be competitive. We're gonna try to make it out the north." And I, I can't believe they had – I know they didn't have Super Bowl aspirations. I mean, you got – as a team you do, but realistically you're looking at it like Ravens are probably going to come out the north, you know, and, you know, they'll finish 9-8, and eight, you know, 10-7, and seven on, and that's a good season. You figure that's a successful season for them. And that's about – what they what they, 10-7? and seven? What did they finish season, 9-8? and eight? So, I mean, they didn't – They, they were 10-7. and seven. Yeah, they weren't like gangbusters that. this year, but that – I mean – they're slap and what does this do for for Joe Burrow? I mean, if the Bengals somehow pull this off, I mean, Joe Burrow never had to pay for a thing ever in Cincinnati. So, and 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 that's the I think that's the scary part. Like, which is why I hadn't placed any bets on the game. It's like he's got that quality, right? He's got oh. that it factor. Yeah. You watch him do Mahomes, Mahomes in that game with the scrambles and stuff. He's got some escapability to mm-hmm. him. But then you watch like. Aaron Donald and Von Miller him up Kyler Murray, so it's like they they not slow dudes. They know how to get after the quarterback. So I'm I'm excited for the Super Bowl. I'm excited Brady's not in the Super Bowl. I'm excited for some oh, new. Come on now. I'm I'm just excited for some new blood in the Super Bowl, man. Like we're gonna have we're gonna have somebody win the Super Bowl. I ain't never won one this year. I'll tell or you what. I haven't won one in a long time. That that Bucks and Rams game. I could tell like on Brady's face, like oh, from the very like when he ran onto the field, I. I could see in his face like their game plan sucks. Uh, you know, he already knows like what's about to happen in this game because he's seen it a million times before. Well, and I think a lot of that was Worfs got hurt. And when Worfs got hurt the, uh, the week before, that, I mean, Brady is a lot. Wrong sucks, no A-B. Pretty much had Mike Evans and that was it. And Mike Godwin's Evans kind of checks out sometimes. Yeah, Godwin's gone. Uh, Fournette was out. Well, was he back that game? No, he Yeah, they, Fournette they was still, out. And so Sorry, yes, they he did. He, he was back he, that, he was out their uh divisional, divisional round game. against the Eagles. The wild card yeah. game. He was back in the divisional game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so they were just I don't know. I think the worst like Brady's a lot of things, you gotta keep them clean though. Mm-hmm. And that pocket was not clean against them. It was the same thing. They had because then the backup got hurt. The backup got hurt behind Worfs, and and his the offensive line was kind of in scramble mode. It felt like the whole game, and so because I think Jensen did Jensen get hurt too in the game. Jensen, yeah, but he came back. He came back, so they were just banged up, and and that was kind of the story of the Rams season. They're just kind of banged up. They, you know, with God were getting hurt, AB losing his mind. You know, they didn't have the weapons that they needed to to make that run. And then, you know, I always wanted to see. I always wanted to see Scotty Miller emerge, and I was like, he just must not have been the player we thought he was. He dealt with a a turf toe. Did he have a the turf entire toe? Se- yeah. Because it's like, like if anybody can get it out, of Scotty Miller, it's gonna be Tom Brady. He knows exactly what to do with a player like Scotty Miller. You know. And in the second half, like Brady went to him yeah. a bunch. I mean, the second half, Brady was just like, you know what? I, if I'm gonna go out, I'm just, just gonna let it start fly, chucking man. it all over the field. So I don't know. I, it wasn't. I mean, I'm glad the the uh, the the Rams. I'm glad the Bucks didn't didn't repeat for sure. But it's it's the end of a, a era for Tom Brady, man. It, what a what a great that dude had like two maybe three Hall of Fame careers. So so quarterbacks. We just said Matthew Stafford probably you know lot riding on this game. 
is Matthew Stafford. I mean, obviously, if he wins a Super Bowl, he's probably a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Yeah, I would think so, right? His numbers are already up there, right? So that's the thing. Everybody is so statutory. And I've told you a little bit, like, you know, we we don't do, like, nerdy stats. Like, box scores aren't the end-all, be-all type thing. I mean, Stafford, yeah, he's got great stats. If he doesn't win a Super Bowl, obviously he's going to this one. Maybe he makes a couple more playoff runs but never wins one. Is he a Hall of Famer? If he doesn't win one, I don't, I don't, I don't think he makes the Hall of Fame. Okay, so guys, so Philip Rivers, Hall of Famer or not? Probably, but Philip Rivers, his win percentage is, I'm sure, drastic. Like you got to look at Matt Stafford; his numbers are crazy. His personal stats, but he didn't win a his win. What is his win percentage? Like I would, I would look at their two win it, percentages. Yeah, I mean it's probably five hundred. And, and Philip Rivers has made some playoff runs, and they've went to some AFC championships in San Diego, and. And his career was just different in, in that regard. You know, I feel like he won a lot more. You know, g- getting to – and then that's kind of like the – that's kind of like the barometer for quarterbacks, right? Did you win a – I mean, it, really, the NFL Hall of Fame is so difficult to get into. It's like you got to have – even for linemen and stuff, you got to have a Super Bowl ring. If you don't have a Super Bowl ring, it's like, you know, didn't didn't do the ultimate thing. So, you obviously, it was your fault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, linemen, I feel like it's really hard to get in the Hall of oh Fame. Oh, my God. There's so many. With linemen. <laughs> the, like, the NFL, like, uh, Hall of Fame. For, I mean, there's dudes waiting to get in the Hall of Fame that are just, like, like Tony Baselli's not in because. It's all skill players that, that yeah, get in. Like, you look at the guys that aren't in the Hall of Fame, like, and they're like, God, dog, man, I'll take all of those dudes. It's nuts. Yeah. As um, far as linemen are concerned. And, and the NFL Hall of Fame is just hard to get into. It's, you know, 1,500 guys on the roster. Like, are you a Hall of Famer? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> and no. <laughs> I'm, well, work, I'm working on Vandy. I'm be, hopefully I'll be a Vandy Hall of Famer one day. And we'll, we'll leave it at that. I'm a Hall of Famer at my middle school. Holy Family Middle School and, and You got you got your jersey like hung out, up in the in the plaque, gymnasium you know, or something like that? Put me in the Hall of Fame years ago. So yeah. I'm, oh, do you get your own day there? I don't like think February sixteenth so. is I, Chris Williams Day. It's probably February thirtieth. So, so. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, Chris has a podcast that's going to be launched. I date yeah. is TBD, um, but it's going to be called Set the Huddle with Chris Williams. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Chris, t- I mean, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Talk about the game from an offensive line perspective. Yeah, Set the Huddle. Uh, it's it's part of a, a pod, podcast now. It'll be sportstalknashville.com. And uh, doing some stuff, doing Set the Huddles, my podcast. And I'm also doing a redemption podcast with guys who've been through some things. And um, really just covering sports, going to do some lineman content, uh, talking ball. I really, like me and Jake just did, really just just kind of chopping it up with people and talking to coaches in the area, talking to ex-teammates, just just talking ball with whoever wants to talk ball. So, well, Jake will let y'all know when we launch it, and, and I'll be back on the show, and we'll, we'll do some cross-promotion with each other. So it'll be a good time. Bingo, bango. Well, Chris, we appreciate you joining us. No, I appreciate you, Jake. It was a good time, man. Thanks, brother. Thank you.